Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Hey, I wanted to update you because I don't think we've talked about it yet, but uh, Vacation Bible School was awesome this week. It was fantastic for everybody who participated. I mean, you know that, but we had about 150 kids in our church this week every day, and that doesn't include lots and lots of volunteers. I have no idea how many dozens of volunteers, and uh, we saw several kids trust in the Lord, and lots of great conversation with our neighbors and our community, and um, Annie, I believe, is, is, is serving in nursery today, as, as always, when I recognize her in church. But uh, Annie did a fabulous job leading everybody, Annie Bowden. And so, yeah, we need to recognize her. Make sure you tell Annie thank you, because uh, it takes a lot of work, and, and people should be affirmed when they do a good job. So let's, let's give her some affirmation when you see her. So um, last Sunday, we looked at a passage in the book of Acts in which the Apostle Paul shared how determined he was to bring glory to the, the name of Jesus. And uh, what was happening is his friends were trying to persuade him not to go to Jerusalem because there was a good chance that he might die there. And Paul responded to them. He said, you guys, I am ready. I'm ready to go to Jerusalem. I'm ready to show the world that the gospel of Jesus is worth dying for. Let me re- review that. Uh, Acts 21, 10 to 14 Luke writes, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So Paul told his friends here, I'm ready, you guys, to go to prison for my faith. I'm ready to die for my faith, anything to glorify the name of Jesus. You know, not every Christian will have to physically die for their faith in Jesus. However, Jesus did say that his followers must die to themselves in order to follow him. In Luke 9, 23 to 24, it says, And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So last week we began to ask the question, what does it mean to deny myself? What does it mean to take up my cross daily? What does it mean for me to follow Jesus in this way? What, what does it mean to die to myself in order to truly live like Jesus is describing? Can I say with Paul that I am ready to die for the glory of Jesus' name? And last Sunday, we only touched the the tip of the iceberg. So today, I want to spend a little more time digging into this more deeply. And specifically, I want to explore how dying to ourselves for the name of Jesus is not a command that God gives to us to stop enjoying life. Dying to ourselves is not a command from God to trade life-giving blessings for life-sucking sacrifices. The kind of dying that Jesus has in mind is explicitly intended 
to produce an abundance of life and joy in us. So as we get into this, let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we do thank you for this time we have. Thank you for the worship of, uh, through music time we've had. Thank you for um, the great thing that you have done for us in living and dying and rising again for us. And so now please help us to hear your word. Help us to hear you as we open your word. We ask that you would take the, your gospel, your good news, that you would push it down into our hearts. Make it permeate into every last crevasse of our hearts. Please show us, God, how, how dying to ourselves now means to fully be alive in you. We ask that you would protect our time physically and spiritually from evil. And we pray this, all of this, God, for the, the glory of your name. Amen. So this morning we're going to talk about what God means when he tells us to die to ourselves and put our sin to death. We're going to talk about our attitude toward this. We're going to talk about what Paul had to die to before he ever went to Jerusalem. And we're going to talk about how dying like Paul died before he went to Jerusalem can also give us real joy and hope. So I want to start by looking at an illustration that shows the storyline of human history in four stages. And if we can blacken that, darken that other background behind, that would be great. So the four stages, you guys, this is also how the Bible is laid out. Our creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So the first stage is creation. God says in Genesis 1 to 2 that when he created the world, it was good. It was right. It was pure. It was without sin. Human beings were created in God's image as the pinnacle of God's creation. We, we were created to, why were we made as humans? Why, are, why is humanity here? We were created to bring glory to our creator by enjoying friendship with him forever, by enjoying him, okay? Second stage is the fall. So there were angels who God had created who chose to rebel against God instead of to worship him. And so God cast those angels out of heaven and cursed them to eternal suffering. And he allowed them to dwell on earth for a while. Those angels, fallen angels, are what we call demons. And the leader of those demons, Satan, was well aware that humans were the pinnacle of God's creation. And so Satan wanted to, after falling himself, he wanted to convince all humans to rebel against God too. And in this way, Satan could rob God of glory, and he could ruin the creation that God had made, starting with the pinnacle of God's creation, humanity. So Satan, what did he do about this? He appeared to two, the first two humans, Adam and Eve, and he persuaded them to believe that God did not want the best for them. He persuaded them to rebel against God just like the demons had. And so Adam and Eve chose to disobey God's command not to eat from a certain tree. And that is when sin, brokenness, death, depravity entered the story of humanity. Sin, a short definition of sin is disobeying God's good commands for us. And sin brings horrible consequences. See, God had already told Adam and Eve that if they did this, if they disobeyed him, they would surely die. And to elaborate on that, it means they would no longer enjoy 
everlasting friendship with God. They, when they sinned, uh, would be punished by God. And so humans now live with physical death. And not only that, we now suffer everlasting, or we, we suffer everything on this earth that leads to death and that tastes like death. So now we experience physical illness. Now our bodies deteriorate. deteriorate. Now we have emotional brokenness. Now we have relational brokenness between each other. Now we, we are afraid of things. Now we have shame and guilt that we wrestle with. And so the power of sin entered the human race and it corrupted every part of our being, not just our bodies, but our minds, our affections, our spirits, our wills, our wills now in bondage to sin. Our, our dispositions to God now is not one of, man, I love you, God, I wanna be with you, I just wanna bring you glory. Our natural disposition is, I don't want to do what he tells me to do. I want to do what I want to do and whatever my heart tells me to do. And that is why, the, that is the message of the world and has been the message of the world since creation. Sin hardened our hearts to God. I was listening to Romans, just listening to it in my car. Paul says this, he said, sin killed us. <laughs> That's what it did. It killed us to God. And more than just earthly consequences, because we're spiritual beings, we have eternal consequences too for our rebellion, not only to die physically, but our souls would now live under the hand of God's wrath forever. So ever since that second stage, the fall into sin, this has characterized the human experience. The majority of the Old Testament describes humanity's relationship with God after the fall. So despite humanity's rebellion against God, the Old Testament tells us a story of how God has been rich in mercy and he has promised to send a savior who would save us from the penalty for our sins and the savior who would bring us back to friendship with God. And that brings us to stage three of redemption. How did God eventually do this? He eventually sent his only son Jesus from heaven to bring us back and to defeat Satan for good, and to bring eternal glory to God's name by doing that. And he did this, Jesus did this, by living a perfect sinless life that none of the other humans lived, and he did this on behalf of all who would trust in him. And so Jesus' life would not only have repercussions for him, it would have repercussions for us if we are united to Christ through faith in that perfect life. And then at the end of that perfect life, Jesus was murdered on a cross. And Satan in the world thought they were finally getting rid of, of, of God in the world, finally defeating God, when in actuality, God was defeating the darkness by becoming sin and killing it in his own death. This is how Jesus defeated sin. This is how he defeated the eternal power of sin over everybody who would come under the umbrella of that safety. And then Jesus rose from the dead after three days, proving this, that, that he was truly God's son, that he did have the authority to do this. Over, he had the authority over sin, over death, over life. He is the one, he is the only one who can do this for us. And so what does Jesus command us now to do? He commands everybody on earth, turn away from sin and turn to me for rescue if you wanna live. And that brings us to stage four, restoration. 
Jesus promised that he's going to return to earth one day in all of his glory, in all of his power, and he's coming as a conquering king to bring eternal justice to the cosmos, essentially. He's physically going to raise everybody from the dead and reunite them with their spirits. He will glorify or perfect Christians physically and spiritually and restore them to their sinless state. And then God will restore all creation with a sinless, uncorruptible, uh, incorruptible new heavens and new earth, which God will bring for for God's people to live in uh, the fullness of life in the presence of God forever. But Jesus will not perfect those people who refused him who rebelled against him. They will not be restored to friendship with God. They in their lives on earth rebelled against God and opted not to repent and turn to Jesus. They will live as enemies of God under the hand of God's wrath for all eternity. And this is what Jesus says. Their eternal existence will be characterized by everlasting weeping and gnashing of teeth. So where do we fit right now in 2019 in this storyline? Well, we are living in the age of redemption. We are waiting for Jesus to return for that final restoration. We, we live in a pocket of time in which Jesus extends to you and to the whole world the offer of everlasting life and friendship with God and rescue from your sin and death and eternal misery. And we, how, do we, how do we come into this? Well, We don't work for it because even our works are tainted by sin. The only way we can do it is by trusting in what Jesus did in his perfect work for us, in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so what is happening in this age of redemption for Christians? Well, Jesus has a mission for us. We're proclaiming the gospel. We're living for the glory of God. And in our own hearts, God is we're in it, he's restoring us, okay? He's giving us glimpses in our own lives of the future restoration. By the power of the Holy Spirit and by the power of his word, Christians kill the sinful thoughts and habits and patterns and attitudes and actions that used to be the trademark by which they lived when they were in rebellion against God. And so this process of putting to death the sin in ourselves and instead embracing righteousness is called sanctification. It's it's the process of being purified. It's the process of, it's it's the process of restoration. It's the restoration process God uses to make us holy like he is holy for our greater joy and for his glory on earth and in heaven. But if we don't understand rightly this story of God's salvation, if we don't understand how dying to destructive habits and death and sin and filth is a wonderful thing, then we will hinder our own restoration. We will hinder our own sanctification. See, even if Jesus has saved us, we will choose to stick with our old way of thinking, our old way of speaking, our old way of acting. We might believe Jesus is God. We might trust in his life, death, and resurrection for, for our sin. But for many of us, and this is why I'm camping out on this again this week, I'm afraid that our understanding of the gospel facts is really nothing more than this abstract reality that is out there rather than 
the power of God which ministers and heals our hearts and transforms our lives and our existence completely. You see, if the gospel doesn't permeate our hearts, the idea of dying to yourself sounds like death. You might hear the gospel and, and you think, okay, yeah, I get it. God is good, I'm bad. God is merciful, so he came to earth to save me because I messed up. I get it, I'm still messed up. I'm a bad person, I get it. I, and so now you just, I just, you just want me to feel guilty about my sin, everything I've done, and I'm just gonna live on life, my life as a messed up sinner the rest of my life. And now you're telling me you also want me to put sin to death. That sounds, that sounds exhausting, it doesn't sound fun, it doesn't sound, it sounds futile. Because isn't beating myself up about how bad I am good enough for you? See, if we look at the gospel, if we look at our sanctification that way, we're not seeing it the way God wants us to see it. Yeah, we messed up. Yeah, we've rebelled against God. Yes, we need Jesus to save us because we are miserable without him. But Christian, here's what you need to know. You are not wretched anymore because you're with God now. You're in Christ now if you're trusting in him. No, you're not perfect. But God doesn't see you anymore as a rebel dishonoring his name. In Jesus Christ, your identity now is a son or daughter of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. God has totally forgiven you. He's totally purified you. He's totally thrown your sin into the bottom of the sea. That's what God wants you to know. So listen closely. Dying to yourself and killing yourself does not mean beating yourself up over and over about what you've done. Dying to yourself is not self-harm. It's not hating yourself. It's not doing penance to try to make up for wrong things you've done. Dying to yourself is not just making yourself feel bad for being a sinner. Dying to yourself and killing your sin means consciously taking every thought captive and making it submit to the truth of Christ and his gospel. Killing your sin means repenting, turning away from the wicked deeds you used to do with your body in order to worship yourself instead of God. Dying to yourself and killing your sin means dying to your own destruction. To everything that destroys your mind, soul, and body, everything that smells like death, that is what God is telling you to die to. It means dying to everything that gives you fake satisfaction and artificial peace that lasts for a moment and is gone forever. Uh, gone for, forever. It, it means dying to your idols, dying to fake saviors. So when we start thinking about killing sin as part of God's restoration process through which he is making us free and beautiful again, we begin to understand that it is a blessed thing to put sin to death in our lives. We begin to see sin killing as life enhancing, not life draining. 
And this restoration process we're in is leading us to that final restoration day, that future day in which we'll forever be restored by God, will forever be perfected and glorified in Christ, we'll be forever be made eternally happy. The reason why Paul denied himself, took up his cross, and lived for Jesus daily the reason why in this passage he proceeded to Jerusalem despite all of his friends telling him not to is because Paul understood the fullness of joy there is in dying to himself for the glory of Jesus. So in the remainder of our time here, what I want to do is talk about what Paul died to before he went to Jerusalem. What did he have to die to in order to confidently go to Jerusalem, this place where all of his friends said, don't go there? And then what we, we want to ask God to do is learn from that and drive into our hearts what Paul understood, a deeper understanding of how Jesus meets us with his gospel right where we are at. Jesus is healing us and restoring us by empowering us to put sin to death in our lives right now. So in order to confidently proceed to Jerusalem, Paul had to die to four things, at least four things. He had to die to his past. He had to die to self-centeredness. He had to die to people-pleasing. And he had to die to the fear of death. But first, in order to confidently proceed to Jerusalem, Paul had to die to his past. You know, even though Paul had been an extremely, extremely religious person earlier in his life, he had done terrible things against the Lord and against other people, specifically against Christians. Paul talks about his past in Acts 26, 9 to 11, saying, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. Isn't that funny? That exact phrase, he's flipped it now. Anything to worship the name of Jesus, to die for the name of Jesus. Earlier, he had done many things to oppose the name of Jesus. And I did so in Jerusalem. I, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. Before returning to Jerusalem, Paul had some stuff to deal with in his own heart. <laughs> he had some stuff to deal with in his own mind about what he had already committed in this very city. And surely, Satan wanted to remind Paul of all of this, of his past he wanted to paralyze Paul. He wanted to make Paul question his own worth. Satan did not want Paul to forgive himself like God had already forgiven Paul. Satan wanted Paul to wallow in self-hatred, in self-shame. He wanted to prevent Paul any way he could from joyfully relishing in the truth of the gospel and spreading that message to others. And I'm sure that Satan attacks many of you in the exact same way. He wants to hinder you from moving forward in God's life-giving restoration process for you. He wants to hinder you 
from diving in to the pool of God's grace. The sin of self-hatred, of self-shaming is a problem not only for Christians but for non-Christians. So, so how do we, like Paul here, die to that? How do we die to the power that our past sins have over us? How do we put to death our self-loathing, our self-hatred? Well, I Googled it. <laughs> I Googled it. How do we do that? Well, let's see what Google says. And I read some of the best thoughts by the world's best gurus, self-help gurus. According to one article I read, here's how we forgive ourselves and move on from our past. Remember, it's okay to feel guilty, but understand the difference between guilt and shame. Admit you messed up. Apologize to anyone you've hurt. Imagine what forgiveness feels like. Write yourself an apology. Learn from your mistake. Take care of yourself mentally and physically and move forward. Now many of those things are helpful ways to deal with the symptoms of self-hatred. But what don't those things do? They do not get to the root of our self-hatred. Why? Because the actual sin you're hating yourself over hasn't been dealt with. It has not been punished. It has not been taken away from you. It has not been put to death. This is why we need Jesus, you guys. Because on the cross, Jesus was already punished for that sin you committed. So stop punishing yourself every day because you can't add anything to the punishment Jesus received for you. Jesus was already shamed when he was hung naked on the cross for your sin. So don't shame yourself and live in shame every day for the sin that Jesus was already shamed for. Don't take it back from him. If you're in Christ, your sin was already taken away. He already killed it in his own death. Don't try to breathe life into it every day. Don't let Satan put that thought in your head and try to resuscitate that thing into your life and your thinking. That sin that you, or sins, or way of life that you once lived has been born in Jesus' body on the tree because he loves you. So put your faith in Jesus and trust that as God's son, he meant it when he said, it's finished. That he could do what you can't do, that he could totally bear the weight of that sin and truly kill that sin and its power over you. Because if God forgives us, we must learn to forgive ourselves. And because Jesus died for our sin, and then he rose in victory to show that God has dealt with those sins for us, we must entrust ourselves to him when we wrestle with self-hating thoughts. And this is why we must permeate our hearts and minds with the gospel. Praise God for this. It's been punished if you're in Christ. If you're, in, if you're not in Christ, if you're choosing to rebel against the the way to put this sin to death, it will haunt you forever. You need Jesus. Paul knew this, Paul had experienced this, and Paul did not allow the sins of his past to stop him from trusting in Jesus or to stop preaching the gospel of grace in Jerusalem. So don't let your past sins stop you from embracing the gospel and from embracing um, 
the mission that Jesus has for you to spread the gospel and bring glory to God through your life in every way. Second, in order to confidently go to Jerusalem, Paul had to die to his self-centeredness. Sin has warped our minds by shaping us to think that, you know what's most important to me? Me. My life, my career, my money, my wants, my happiness, my family, that's what matters most. Even if I don't say it out loud. That's our mode of operation. And this is the way that the unregenerate man thinks. And this is the way that the born-again man is tempted to think. But Jesus tells us that the way to true life and to true joy is to actually approach life the opposite way. Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. That's why you need to listen to him and follow his instructions because his values and his words for you are often the very opposite of what the instruction is you're going to get in the world. Instead of putting ourselves first, Jesus says, you've got to put yourself last. You've got to die to your self-centeredness. You've got to put the good of others before yourself. Mark 9.35 says, And Jesus sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then later in Mark 10.45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man himself came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the Holy Spirit had compelled Paul to travel to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? Why is the Holy Spirit compelling him to do this? It's for the sake of others. Do you remember that? Paul's going there to deliver an offering to the Jewish Christians that are living in poverty. And God had told Paul, listen, this is what you need to expect, to suffer and maybe die for the sake of my name. And Paul was glad to do this. I mean, that's bizarre. But it's because Jesus had so changed his heart and the way that he viewed the world and his understanding of what it meant to die to himself to live in Christ. And there's no doubt that Paul's flesh and Satan tempted Paul to put himself first and to put that church in Jerusalem last and to listen to all his friends and not go, right? In our flesh, and and Satan tempts us the exact same way to always put yourself first. You're tired. Life is hard. You deserve this. You need this. You you know, don't forget about others. You you can only do so much. There's a little bit of truth in that. You can only do so much. You're not a savior. But the fact is that To follow Jesus means to put our needs and wants and feelings last. But we're tempted to act like we're, we live pretty much to make our will be done. That's pretty much what success looks like in my life. As long as my will is done, I've hit the target. Now shortly after Paul's trip to Jerusalem, which he makes, he wrote a letter from prison to the church in Philippi. And the letter gives us a glimpse into what he was thinking at that time. Philippians 1, to 26, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress, your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And then a few sentences later, Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul was certain that he must go to Jerusalem and then continue to minister from prison for the sake of Christians and non-Christians, for the sake of others. I mean, think about where he was mentally at this point. He had been so abused, so maltreated, so beaten, beaten to the point of death almost for so many years for the name of Jesus. But he still wants to persevere He still wants to see non-Christians saved through faith in Jesus. And he wants to see Christians progress in their faith, mature in their faith, and experience joy in Jesus. And this is God's will for us too. To look to the interests of others, not just to our own. To to think about how, how we can serve others and help others and encourage others for the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, not how we can be served and helped and encouraged by others. And dying to ourselves means dying to our self-centered way of looking at life. It means if there's a bike tire and there's a lot of spokes and and there's an axle in the middle or a hub, the hub is God, not you. If that whole thing symbolizes your life, All of the spokes, everything you do in your life should revolve around God and making his name great, not around you, which is our default way of thinking. And just like God compelled Paul, go to Jerusalem, you're gonna serve the church, you're gonna advance the gospel in the darkness. That's what God's call is to you and to me too, if we're Jesus' followers. God wants to use us to advance his kingdom in in our families, around our dinner tables, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, on your sports teams, and in our workplaces. And doing that is often not easy. It, it, It doesn't always sound fun to do that. Sometimes it requires discipline to do that. So may the Lord Jesus, so where do we, we need Jesus to help us with this, right? We need the Holy Spirit to give us joy in doing this. So may he, he give us joy in helping others, encouraging others, and serving others for the glory of Jesus' name. Third, in order to, to confidently go to Jerusalem, Paul had to die to people-pleasing, to people's opinions of him. No people wanted Paul to go to Jerusalem. His travel companions told him not to go there. Two churches told him not to go there. The Jews in Jerusalem definitely did not want Paul to be there. And even when he did get there, it didn't take long for the Christians in Jerusalem not to be real excited that he was there. 
And so in order to go to Jerusalem, Paul really had to believe in his heart and his mind that his primary goal is to obey God and not people. He had to truly believe that even if people disapproved of him, even if people shamed him, it was more important that he was approved and honored by God. He had to believe that even if the world and other Christians abandoned him, the Lord would stick by his side and have his back. So, so a little before he went to Jerusalem, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Galatia. And he again shares his thoughts on this and on people pleasing. Galatians 1, 10 to 12, he writes, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So staying faithful to Jesus and seeking to obey his commands will be accompanied by people who do not approve of you, people who do not approve of your decisions. You can expect to be called names. You can expect to be mocked. You can expect Christians to disapprove of you. And if you're a Christian leader, these realities will be multiplied for you. But Jesus doesn't want us to look to people for approval. He wants us to look to him for approval, and we already have his approval if we're in him. Jesus died on the cross to take away our sin from us and then to give us his righteousness so that we would have God's full approval and acceptance. And this is an extremely important truth for young people and for people with tender hearts and for people who want others to be happy with them to understand. You will not make everyone happy. Even God doesn't make everyone happy. There will be people who are mean to you even though you are doing your best to obey God and even though you are trying to, uh, to be kind to them. Your job is not to make them like you or to make them happy. Your job is to try to obey Jesus by loving them no matter how they treat you. And when you fail at loving them, when you stoop to their level, <laughs> the gospel still meets you there. To confess your sin, repent from it, and rejoiced Rejoice in the fact that you are not saved because you have loved perfectly. You are saved because Jesus loved perfectly in your place. And some of us hurt more deeply than others of us when, 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 when people are mean to us. And we need to continue to grow in believing and understanding in this gospel that God loves and accepts us. And we need to keep our eyes on Jesus for our value and for our worth. If we're seeking to obey Jesus, we simply need to ask God not to let the words and opinions and actions of others affect us so deeply. Listen to this carefully, very carefully, because some people abuse this teaching. It doesn't mean you become cold and calloused and hard toward people. It doesn't mean you do whatever you want because you're accepted in Jesus. It means that you love others 
but your peace and your joy and your freedom in life are not dependent on them loving you. God loves you. That's where your acceptance is. <laughs> and if you want to, and there's, read Romans. Some people twist this and say, well, if God loves me and accepts me, I'm gonna go do whatever I want. And God says very clearly, if that's your attitude, you're probably not saved. You're probably not a Christian. Or you're a Christian who's really strayed and God's gonna mercifully bring back. But your attitude should be, Christ died to put my sin to death, and so now I wanna live for Christ, not for sin. And Paul had to go into Jerusalem with this mindset, seeking to obey Jesus, seeking to obey, to, God, I've just gotta put the reactions and opinions of people in your hands. And it's so much easier said than done, isn't it? <laughs> Holy Spirit, please help us with this one. Fourth, in order to confidently proceed to Jerusalem, Paul had to die to the fear of death. He was well aware, because the, the Holy Spirit had told him that he, was, he might be killed for the name of Jesus there. I imagine he was, he was tempted many times to, to run away, to right, fight or flight, <laughs> to either fight or to flee, to preserve his life. Now, several times God did deliver Paul from death, but that's not promised here. In order for Paul to proceed to Jerusalem and, and uh, to keep moving forward in ministry, he had to get over the, the natural human fear of death, which the book of Hebrews says has kept us captive at every single fall. Everybody's afraid of it, even if they say they're not. So how do we get freedom? How did he get freedom from this? Well, for one, Paul believed that his soul would continue to exist after death. After his body died, he believed that the timeline of a person's existence is infinitely longer than the timeline of his or her time on earth. Okay, but, but merely believing that did not empower Paul to die to the fear of death. The vast majority of the world believes that, Christians and non-Christians. Paul died to his fear of death by believing that in Christ, he had conquered the power of death. That because Jesus had defeated death, Paul, who has now been united to Jesus in faith, has defeated death with Jesus. He believed that Jesus was alive, that he wasn't dead. He didn't stay dead, and nobody who belongs to Jesus will stay dead. Paul believed Jesus' words in John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. See, when, see, when a person is born again and trusts in Jesus for salvation, he, what that means Jesus is saying is you have already been united to everlasting life in Christ now. The Christian has already passed over from death to life. Look at the tenses Jesus uses. That's something that's already happened to you. There's no judgment or condemnation awaiting the Christian at the end of this life. And Paul talks in the book of Romans about how we Christians have already been justified or declared not guilty in God's sight. And that's why Paul tells the Philippian Christians to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
In other words, to live on earth is to know Christ. It's to experience Christ. It's, a, it's to be filled with the spirit of Christ. It's to worship Christ, to commune with Christ, to exalt the name of Christ. But then to die is to finally be with Christ. <laughs> death is gain. Because Jesus killed the power of death for all who trust in him, death is no longer their greatest enemy. Death is the portal now to the eternal presence of Jesus and his glory. That's what death is for the Christian. Praise God. And what this perspective does, seeing death this way, what it does for the Christian is it empowers him or her now to take risks for the sake of God's kingdom because we're confident in the face of death. The Christian is not like the non-believer who's dead set on packing as many experiences into the ye these years on earth because that's all he or she believes he has. For the Christian, joy starts now in Jesus and is gonna last forever in Jesus. What makes life on earth unique now though for the Christian is that this is the only time in eternity we will ever have among non-believers. This is the only time we'll ever have to preach the gospel to non-Christians. People in heaven will have trusted in Jesus. And so because Jesus has conquered death for us, we can now join the apostle Paul in risking our lives for the sake of the gospel. It changes everything, <laughs> if you believe this. It means that getting a life-threatening disease in a remote part of the world on a mission trip is no longer your worst nightmare because you're gonna see Jesus. It means being martyred in North Africa for your faith, even though your whole family tells you not to go there, is no longer your worst nightmare because you're gonna see Jesus, which is far better than being in North Africa. <laughs> and God forbid, losing a child or a loved one on the mission field, the life-altering and heart-wrenching is not your worst nightmare because they're with Jesus now, which is gain for them. Seeing life this way is what empowers us to take risks for God when it, does, it seems absolutely crazy and irresponsible in the eyes of the world. In Jesus' words in Mark 8.35, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. God help us to believe these words. And I imagine that some of you here today do not have this kind of confidence as you right now approach your own death. God's word to you right now then at this time in redemptive history for you is to turn away from whatever lies you're believing, whatever else you're putting your faith in, whatever your hope is in, and turn to the true hope giver and hope provider, Jesus, God's son, who is not dead, but who is alive. Admit that you're a sinner in need of saving. Believe Christ died for you and confess Jesus as your savior and Lord, just like we talked about all week at Vacation Bible School. It was because Paul died to his fear of death, because he trusted in the work of Jesus, that he was able to confidently go to Jerusalem. 
whatever may come to him. He knew whatever in life or death, he just wanted to see Jesus be glorified. So in order to, to, to go to Jerusalem, the four things we've talked about, Paul had to die to his past, to his self-centeredness, to people-pleasing, and to the fear of death. And the result of dying to things like this, dying to himself, dying to sinful thinking that doesn't align with the truth of Christ, is that ultimately it gave Paul infinitely more freedom and joy in this life than the world would ever know. This is the kind of joy and freedom we want for ourselves. This is the kind of abundant life Jesus is describing in John 10. And my prayer for each of us is that we would turn our faces to the Lord, to his gospel, and gladly die in these ways too. One day at a time, daily. I think that's why, that's why Jesus threw in that word, right? It takes, it, how does it happen? Not all at once. It's a daily thing. One decision at a time, one word at a time. Turn from our sinful pasts. Turn from our self-centeredness. Turn from our people-pleasing. Turn from our fear of death. This is what Christ died for, to give us freedom from these things. There should be an insert in your bulletin uh, with some book recommendations I have for you. Uh, if you want to read more on this topic, either by yourself or with your spouse or with your community group, I just, I could preach on this for like eight weeks. This is fun stuff. But we got to keep moving. So uh, those, those are some books I've read that have been helpful for me, and uh, maybe they would be helpful for you. <clears throat> would you please stand up, and let's um, close our time together. Please. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Thank you for meeting us right here this morning where we're at in our brokenness and our sinfulness with the finished work of you, your cross, your resurrection. God, I pray that you would use this, this wonderful news to make people born again and to become new creations in you characterized by these truths. I pray for those of us who know you, God, that you would just keep restoring us, Holy Spirit, and that, that we realize that's not just this passive process where we sit in a chair and, 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 and expect you to do this for us. It's this, it's this mysterious process by which we obey you because you've empowered us to obey you by refining our minds now, renewing our minds by the truth of your word, by now having the Holy Spirit show us things that are not honoring to you as revealed in your word, and by finding life in you and seeing progress that, wow, my joy in Jesus is increasing. I'm becoming more like Jesus in these ways. I didn't say that word I said yesterday. I didn't make that decision I made last week one step at a time. And we just thank you, God, that we know that our final restoration is coming. And even though we're gonna mess up in this life, we're not saved by our perfect performance. We're saved by you and your performance for us. Please, God, take the gospel and make it less of an abstract concept in our lives and help us to see how it applies to our deepest hurts, our deepest wounds, and our relationships with, with ourselves, with you, and with those around us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. 
the elders and deacons will be around if you want to talk to us. We'd love to get to know you. And have a great week. Thank you.